All right, as opposed to a video, uh, tis the season, so story time with Pastor Jeremy this morning, right, uh, as we kick off. Actually, it's not a, it's a true story. Um, when I was in my uh, mid-20s, uh, I was in a, blessed to be a part of a church community. It was a very special time. I was uh, part of a church community during those years where some really great things happened in my life and in the lives of others who were there. I was living in the Detroit area. I was back home from the Marine Corps uh, and had just gotten out and was adjusting back to civilian life. We were part of a great church and uh, a young adult ministry at that church. It was a big church, and so the young adult ministry was pretty sizable. But the church had decided to move in a different direction. They had hired a, an individual to plant a church, and they wanted to take all the staffing and the, a lot of the uh, leaders from the ministry to plant this church. It was a great church plant, a great idea, but many of us felt, one, we didn't feel led by the Lord to join the effort, and two, we saw that the existing young adult ministry really was having an impact on a lot of people, and we didn't want to see it uh, just go away. And so, while we didn't have the staffing and the resources, the church said, you can continue your ministry, but you have to do so on a volunteer basis and on a shoestring budget. So, we're like, okay. Uh, honestly, we didn't know much in the way of ministry leadership. None of us had led a ministry before. And we really were a ragtag group of 20 and 30-somethings uh, at the time. But we loved Jesus. And we believed in his power to save and transform lives. That church, by the way, was and still is a wonderful gospel-preaching, kingdom of God, advancing church. And in all the great things they were doing, we kind of felt a little uh, uh, like we didn't match up because there were some great ministries and then there was our fledgling little uh, relaunch of what the ministry had been. We prayed, we were humbled, we had to face our sins a lot, which you have to do anytime you step up to lead in the kingdom. God has a way of kind of exposing yourself, and if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And in facing our sins a lot, we then had to repent of our sins a lot. Through this, though, we learned to love one another, like the Bible actually talks about. Honestly, I would not have chosen a group of people that I was thrust into leadership with, uh, but I didn't have a choice. That was God's choosing. In our humility and desperation, and we were desperate, we really did try to love everyone whom the Lord brought into our ministry and into our community. Over time, through a painful process of growth and sacrifice, and by God's Spirit moving, our ministry did grow both in numbers and in the impact it was having in the lives of people. We had several amazing weekend retreats where God really got a hold of some people's hearts throughout those years. My future best man was born again at one of those retreats. There he is on the left, at a picture at his baptism a short time after his uh, being saved. And then Julie and I were able to work through a lot of our relational garbage and dysfunction, and there was a lot I don't know if you know, but my first encounter with Julie was at a swing dance that this young adult ministry put on, and she left me on the dance floor 45 seconds into the song. <laughs> Some of you know that. That's how we started out. That was my first time meeting Julie. Anyway, we'll move on. We learned how to honor one another first as a brother and sister in Christ, and then by the power and grace of God as a husband and wife. As I said, there were many special things that happened during those years, but one memory that sticks out to me took place at one of these fall retreats on a Saturday morning. It was the last retreat before we uh, got hired for a full-time ministry position in Grand Rapids and were ready to move away. 
but we're sitting at the table. Ada is there, another co-leader, myself, and a couple of new guys. We're just having breakfast, kind of reflecting on the night before, and had this great worship night and message from the speaker. And one of the guys says this, and I can still hear his words almost verbatim. He says this, are you guys always so loving and accepting of people? I have never experienced anything like this before. Where do I sign up? I remember hearing this and at first being floored by the blessed words for our ragtag leadership group because we really were. We didn't know what we were doing. But this is what the Bible talks about, right? This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about community. And then I remember being filled with joy that God, what he had promised in his word, was coming true there in our midst. That ministry impacted the lives of many people who were lost and who were not experiencing God's power and presence. It also showed me, in a very formative time, the power of a truly loving and caring community. One that rejects judgmentalism. And all the little things Matt talked about last week that convey our judgment so subtly to the people around us, especially those in the body of Christ. And two, a community that works hard to care for and lift up their brothers and sisters in the faith because this type of love does not happen easily or naturally. You want to love people in a biblical way, it will cost you. It will be painful. It will be sacrificial. It is this type of community and these attributes that I just talked about that hopefully paint a picture for where we are this morning in Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 18. Our message this morning is called The Way of Peace and Love. And we are in the middle of a series working through Romans 14 and 15 called Food Fight at the latter part of the book of Romans, which we've been going through for over a year. And as we are working our way through chapter 14, uh, it goes into great detail about how Jesus Christ should change and guide the way that we regard and treat others in the Christian community, or as the Bible calls it, within the body of Christ. It describes us as metaphorically, as the, actually, literally, as the body of Christ here on earth. His people, his ambassadors, doing the ministry that he did. This morning we pick up where Matt left off last week at the end of verse 12 with verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or as usual, the words will be up on the screen. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. That translation is inclusive, by the way, of brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, last week, Matt talked about how to create judgment-free zones like Planet Fitness tries to do with their workout facilities for the common man or woman. No grunting, 
No flexing in front of the mirror with your clothes draped partially on, partially off. They are definitely not there to pump you up. But what if the church could be a place like that? That was a question that was asked. What if we as Christians could obey God's word and live that way towards one another? What a witness we would be to the glory and to the power of God. Why doesn't this happen more often? Why doesn't this happen more visibly in the churches that we are a part of or that we we visit? Why? Because it is so difficult and rare to be that way. Because judging people is something the world does with regularity, like the waves hitting the shore. It's just a thing that happens in the world around us. And it is something that comes to us, even as followers of Christ, so naturally, in our flesh, in our natural self, if we are not humble and seeking to live in the Spirit of God, moment by moment, day by day. We are susceptible to this judgmentalism. Like many of you, I can remember certain jobs where I've worked where the regular topic of conversation in the office was just harshness and judgment about an employee or a couple employees or the boss when they weren't around. And there'd just be this, and everybody would pile on. And you could just feel the temptation to join in. I mean, it's just poisonous. I'm sure it was about me when I wasn't around. And they were judging me for who I was and the way that I was. It's just the way the world is. I can still feel that spirit of judgment all these years later from those work experiences. Believe it or not, though, this is also a temptation in church work or in ministry. We regularly see people with problems or in bad situations. We know and often want to imitate the love and compassion of Jesus Christ toward people in their trouble, whatever that trouble might be. But don't be deceived. There is a temptation to feel superior or better than other people. Some of you may have received that at times from ministers past. Some of you may have felt that from me. And if you did, my sincerest apologies, I repent. You may not know this, but the Bible tells us that there is also this voice that speaks in our minds and to our spirits from the enemy, as the Bible calls it, or Satan, a literal being opposing God, whispering in our ear, Judge them. They're an idiot. Can you believe what they're doing or what they just did? These are the voices that we have to battle against, that we have to ignore, push through. But this type of temptation isn't just for church staff because we're paid pastors. This is for any of us who would seek to follow Jesus and be a servant in the kingdom. It is especially important that we remember our own sins, our own shortcomings, how important God's grace is in our own lives in saving and transforming us from who we were and who we can so easily fall back into. We are in no position to judge. Then and only then, with humble spirits of repentance, can the power of God fill us and work through us to encourage and serve others, whatever that might be. But that temptation is always there, right? Sin and judgment are just one thought or one careless word away. And this is what Paul is saying in verse 13, which is as we begin our passage. We're going to spend most of our time in this first verse here this morning. But having just talked about how we need 
the, the dangers of judgmentalism and the pervasiveness of judgmentalism and why we shouldn't do it. He says this, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Now there's a lot in this phrase, this first part of verse 13, but there are two sets of two words that I want to focus on as we begin. The first is Paul saying, let us. Now what does Paul mean by that when he says let us? He's obviously including himself. Paul knows what I just talked about. Paul knows the dangers of quote-unquote ministry, of church work. He knows personally the strong temptation to judge others he encounters as he seeks to do quote-unquote the work of God. Even the great apostle Paul is prone to judge people. And he reminds us of that when he says, let us not pass judgment. My first question for us this morning on a spiritual level is, how many of us here think we're past judging people? Anybody here think, I've graduated past that, Jeremy? I don't judge people. Well, you have surpassed the Apostle Paul. Congratulations to you this morning. (laughs) Because Paul knew the temptation and the propensity to judge, and he said, let us, let us not do that. At the end of his phrase, he doesn't just say, let us not pass judgment on one another. He adds two words at the end of that phrase, any longer. Now, what's the purpose of this phrase, of these two words? Again, Paul knows that judging people is something we do all the time. All of us do it. He's not condemning us for doing it, but instead he is inviting us. He's imploring us. He is saying, stop doing this any longer. It's happening presently. You're doing it. Don't do it any longer. He knows we judge, and we're probably doing so right now. In fact, some of you are probably judging me right now. Boy, Jeremy's a lot shorter on that lectern than Matt is. Boy, Jeremy's hair seems to be escaping him of late. I don't know. If I was sitting out in your place, I'd probably be judging me too, with good reason. It's so easy to do. We just do it. It's just natural. But he encourages us, he exhorts us, don't do it any longer. And then he pivots. He pivots and he tells us how to do this. He gives us an emphatic exhortation, don't do this any longer. And then he uses two more wonderful words in this verse. He uses the term, but rather. In the Bible, so often we're told not to do something, and then we are given a what to do instead. And this is one of those situations. But rather. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. Let me say that again. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. A lot in this phrase here. Let's take it. Let's break it down. What is a stumbling block or a hindrance? Paul doesn't really define that. He talks about issues related to food and diet, and in the Jewish customs of that day, there were dietary laws that some Christian Jews did, that non-Christian uh, or Christians under the new covenant of Jesus weren't required to do, but, but were around those who felt they still needed. I mean, there was a lot of competition. There was a lot of dispute. These are important terms for us to try to understand. We don't have those dietary disputes nearly as much in our day and age. So what is it? 
Well, Matt's been talking about, and Jacob, these disputable matters. This is what it's talking about. In these disputable matters, we need to be deciding not to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. It's how you and I act towards each other, how we feel towards each other. It has to do with our enthusiasm or our indifference. Definitely addresses our judgmentalism. These attitudes and actions, they leak out of us, even when we don't intend, if we have that spirit within us. And we encounter people, we interact with them on a Sunday morning at at small group, at some serving venture. And people go away from interacting with us asking the question, is that person, do they really like me? Do they really even care for me? What did I do to hurt them? What did I do to bother them? Why did he or she ignore me like that? Does he really think he's better than me? These are all stumbling blocks. Or another word for them would be traps. These are traps that ensnare all of us in our interaction with each other when we're together as Christians. And when we are ensnared by these things, we get distracted. We get distracted from the ultimate purpose that God has for us, which is to live for and love Jesus Christ in our daily life, and in so doing, advance his kingdom into the lives of the people around us. But if we get distracted, if we get defensive, we're ensnared. And the last thing we're thinking about is shining the light of Jesus for those who may need or want to know more. There are other stumbling blocks as well. There's the choices that we make and how we live out our faith. Kind of speech and the words we use, just to name a few. In fact, I want to talk about that for a moment. This is a good example. And it may not fit exactly what Paul's talking about, but it's definitely an issue. Don't raise your hand, but are you a cusser? Do you use profanity? As a follower of Jesus, do you cuss? Think about that. As a Christian, is cussing or speaking profanely, is it okay? Am I a weaker brother or sister because I am bothered when other believers speak in that way, if it bothers me? Does that make me weaker? Does that make you stronger? Does God have thoughts on the issue? What does the Bible say about this? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 2 Timothy 2.16 says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. But is it really that bad? Does the word I say really matter that much? Do you see the conundrum that we're in? It doesn't matter, but it does. Because as followers of Christ, we do all sorts of things like this. Every day, every week, myself, chief of all, I'm doing things that the Bible says we ought not to do. For some of us, we do it because we don't even know what the Bible says on it. We're thankful for Jesus. Jesus gave us salvation. He gave us freedom, and we just live our lives. But for some of us, we're doing it because we've never taken the time to read the Bible and to know what the Bible would say about these issues. And we go along offending people. We go along causing stumbling blocks all over. Oh, well, it's their problem. 
It's not an excuse. If his grace is enough to receive, to trust our eternal salvation in, his grace should be enough to get us to know what his word actually says and how we should live thereafter. Does anybody here feel judged? It's not my intent. Because it's not just about cussing. It's about the music we listen to. It's about the television shows or movies that we watch. It's about the little things that we do that mean something to someone else in the body of Christ. It's about the flippant way we act and conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus here within the Christian community. My concerns in this, and I think Paul's concern as well, is that while there are disputable matters in the church, that is without question, are we excusing and explaining away sin and pride and selfishness as a quote-unquote disputable matter? Also, if you or I are a strong believer or we're insisting on our freedom in these disputable matters, whatever they might be, and in the process are offending and causing brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble, are we really the strong believer? Or have we in that moment, denying love, putting ourselves at the center, have we become the weaker believer? This is the challenge that we are called to in the journey with Christ. Do not think so highly of yourself. You might be the weaker believer and not even know it. Romans 14 continues in 14 and 15, and Paul says this, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. That's the conscience, that voice in your head that hopefully still impacts. Some of us, that that voice has been muted for so many years, for so long, we hear nothing anymore. Hopefully for most of us, we hear that voice. Not that voice of condemnation, that God hates us, but that voice of warning. Repent, repent, turn back, turn back. But it's unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved or sister is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. These two verses talk about this. We do have freedom in Christ. Paul says it. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But for what purpose? So that I can go around showing everybody how free I am? No. In our freedom, are we causing others to stumble because of these disputable matters? Is it our right to do what we want in these disputable matters? Or is it our obligation to deny ourselves in disputable matters and submit ourselves to others out of love? Paul often calls himself the bond servant of Christ, the slave of Christ. Do we see ourselves as fellow bond servants, fellow slaves? Paul talks again about this thing in, in Corinthians, and it's not an exact replication, but it's a lot of similarities. And I want to highlight two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verses 23 and 24. Paul's talking about the eating of meat that's been sacrificed to idols and what that means and how it's a divisive thing in the church. But he speaks more generally and gives us some verses that are good guides for us today. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And verse 24, let no one seek his or her own good, but 
the good of their neighbor. Just because something is permitted in the Bible, permitted in our faith in Christ, in, our, in the grace that God has shown us, does not mean it is helpful or it is a thing that we should do. It's not. If it does not build up and edify others in the spirit of love as followers of Jesus, we should not desire to do it. Let us, let no one seek his or her own good, but the good of thy neighbor. This is love. Remember when I said love is painful? Love costs you something? This is what I'm talking about. This is love. Denying yourself. Esteeming others better than. So how do we change? How do we stop putting a stumbling block in the path of our brother or sister in Christ? Well, it's right there in verse 13. The power of our will with the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We simply decide never. Knowing that God has put his spirit in us, knowing that we have the spirit of the living God who's able to do the unimaginable in us, Paul tells us, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. Decide. Resolve. Pray. Ask the Lord for his power and help in that endeavor. But decide never. Take a stand today. Not decide sometimes not to put a stumbling block out. Not decide most of the time to put a stumbling block out. But decide never to put a stumbling block in front of your brother or sister in the faith. Because ultimately the kingdom of God, which we have been invited into by his grace, is not about you and me. It's not about what God has done for you and me. And what we can get out of it. Romans 14, verses 17 and 18, the last two verses in the passage say this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, doing the thing that you need or feel you are entitled to do, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. It's not about you and me eating and drinking, having our way in disputable matters. It's about serving Christ and learning to live and die as he did, and that's for others, out of love for others, out of a commitment to see our brothers and sisters grow and develop but the question I have is, do we even know what that is? Do we even know our brothers and sisters? Do we know what is hindering them or helping them? Or are we uninformed? Just kind of going along. Paul's telling us, don't. Don't be uninformed. The great verse that summarizes this, it's one of my favorites, Galatians 2.20, says this. This is Paul speaking, and I hope it's our prayer this morning. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, balding, not super tall, but not super short either, flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what God gives us in Christ. Now, I want to close with a story about eating and drinking and what God has shown me personally and maybe is trying to show you in some capacity. I don't know. 
It's a marine story. I know a bunch of you love my marine stories. Those often are my best ones. So I was raised in a teetotaling family. We didn't drink. My dad didn't drink. The church we attended was pretty conservative. They didn't drink. I'm sure they did. They just didn't do it at church. But if you went home, check the fridge, I'm sure you'd see. But as far as we knew, none of us drank. Our family really didn't. When I became, when I turned 17, May 15th of 1992, and I recommitted my life to the Lord, things changed. And what was a bunch of legalism and a bunch of rules, I learned the Bible, but it didn't necessarily get my heart. It, it grabbed my heart that day. And I began to, to understand, apply, how does this now apply to this new kind of spirit energy, spirit-filled life of following Jesus? Now, I continue to not drink. Part of the reason I don't drink, and please don't judge me for this, but beer is terrible. It's horrible. Have you tasted it? Oh. I'm not a big fan of fermentation. I'll just say that from the beginning. I don't love fermented things, usually, unless it's kimchi, then I like it. So th- how that works out, I don't know. But combined fermentation and carbonation, no thank you. I don't love c- carbonated beverages. It burns my throat. So beer is never going to be something that I enjoyed. I joined the Marine Corps nine months after my recommitment, and I'm in there. And I had the not-so-distinguished privilege of seeing how abuse of alcohol impacted the lives of other young men in the Marines within the first six months of being in. I saw a fellow young Marine go blind for a day with alcohol poisoning, crying out in his stupor for the woman of ill repute who had been with him in the barracks for the last two weeks but had just broken up and left, clamoring for her to come back and how lonely and how much he hated his life without her. Very shocking. I also saw a friend of mine from New England, wicked bad, he was from New Hampshire, come in from a drunken stupor when we were out in the field. And he had a little meeting with a bull that wasn't so porcelain. You can imagine an outhouse toilet, what that looks like. But he passed out on that toilet. Nobody knew. 30 minutes later, he was covered in fire ants. Had to be hospitalized. Whoops. Now, I'm not judging, but alcohol can be very, very dangerous. Some of you have your own stories and testaments to that. So when I got in the Marine Corps, I wasn't judging my fellow Marines, but I decided I'm not going to drink. Now, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness and peace and love. And I sought to be a friend. I sought to care for them. I sought to listen. But I also was careful about the things that I ate and I drank, and I chose not to. And I don't know if it ministered or if it didn't, but that was my conscience. That's what the Lord gave to me out of love for the lost men and women in my unit who I really, really did want to come and to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, one of those who did, Easter of 1996, was Brian Irvin, who came from a very godless background. He became a believer, and he became kind of my Batman, or my Robin. He, he loved my zeal for the Lord, and he, he wanted to have his own impact on the guys in the unit. And when we go to parties, I was normally the non-drinker. I'd, 
I'd help get the guys home. I would, if there was a vehicle out and I could, I would, I would be the designated driver. Brian was different, though. Brian felt like that put a chasm between him and these guys that he was now reaching out to, so he would always have a beer in his hand. He, would, he wouldn't be found without a beer at a party because he felt by not having a beer, it created a chasm and that these guys would not feel that he was relating to them and that he, would, he was judging them. So there we were, two zealous Christians trying to be witnesses to these crazy Marines. One of us not drinking for the sake of love and reaching the lost. The other with a beer in hand for the sake of loving and reaching the lost. What's my point in this? Both of us had to wrestle through the why for the sake of love for those we were trying to minister to. It wasn't that I was drinking or that he was, and it wasn't about that. It was about the heart that God was building in us for those he wanted us to serve and minister to. And that's my close this morning, my question. Are we just doing things flippantly and not thinking about it? Or have we really thought and wrestled through the things that we're doing, the way we're living, the choices we're making for the sake of love? One, to not cause our brother or sister here in the body to stumble. And two, hopefully to shine a light for the lost to see and to come and to know Jesus the same way that we were blessed by God's grace to do so. And so as we get ready to come tomorrow and Tuesday morning and celebrate the arrival of our Lord, he came to be a slave. He came to be a servant. He came to model for us what that life looks like. I know it's hard. I fail all the time. But that's what he's calling us to. Father, we are just blessed beyond our ability to comprehend, to articulate that you saved us, that you invaded this dark world and you grabbed a hold of our lives and you gave us wisdom and truth and faith and called us and allowed us to turn our eyes towards you and to believe and to follow, and in so doing, be made sons and daughters of you, Father, through Jesus Christ. I pray for us individually. I pray for us as a church body. How can we love well? How can we love sacrificially? How can we love painfully? And in the process, lift up our brothers and sisters and not tear down. The way of love and peace, that's what you're calling us to. pray that we would be open and responsive to do the work, whatever it is that you're asking of us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.